Welcome to the latest edition of Match of the Week, a subdivision within the overarching governing body that is the Let Me Tell You Something podcast. In this episode, like all the other episodes, me, your co-host Lorcan Mullen, and your other co-host... Simon Cross. ...discuss a match that we take it in turns picking from the wide historical world of wrestling and talk about it for as long as we feel like talking about it. But this one, we are going back to New Japan, but it's New Japan of the 1990s, and... Despite us covering a lot of matches in the five-star classics of the Meltzer five-star project, the heavyweight scene of New Japan in the 90s, whilst very prosperous economically, was not so prosperous in the perfect score realm. The two wrestlers we're talking about tonight have not featured in any previous five-star match that we've discussed. So that's why I made the decision, since it was my turn to pick, to give them both a, an airing. Give us a chance to watch some other top 90s Japanese wrestling stars. So, Simon, what are we discussing today? It's the title match, I believe. IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Between Hiroshi Hase and Shinya Hashimoto. Mm-hmm. The other member of the Three Musketeers, whilst we did discuss a match involving two of the Musketeers, Kijimuto and Masahiro Chono, as their alternative five stars, and Kijimuto did feature in one five-star match back in 1980-something, 1987 I think it was, even before his big American excursion. This is the first time we're talking about the third name of the Three Musketeers, and whilst not as big a name to non-Japanese audiences as Masahiro Chono, and definitely not as big a name as Kijimuto, within Japan, I think it's long been seen that if these three aces of the New Japan heavyweight division of the 90s were equal importance, you would tier maybe 1A, Hashimoto, and 1B, you could argue, for Muto or Chono. So that was why I wanted to talk about him. He's a man that was very pivotal. He was as important to New Japan in many ways as Mitsuhara Masao was in All Japan. He was similarly the perennial heavyweight champion. Okada broke his record for the longest reign as IWGP heavyweight champion with his two-year run. Uh, Hashimoto did have the number of title defenses beaten by Yuji Nagata at least. I know that in Nagata's first heavyweight title run. Gotta love that blue justice. Yes, but he was seen as the standard bearer for the heavyweight title. The, if you go from Inoki to Fujinami, it then went to Hashimoto as the key point of the second generation as far as the most consistent main events. I think Dave Meltzer said he has a record for the most main events in dome shows for the 90s. So he was the, he was the equivalent to Hiroshi Tanahashi. In the 90s for New Japan Pro Wrestling. What, sexy? Not so much that. I mean, you know, he, he was handsome. If he carried, if, Despite him carrying a few extra pounds and not the coolest flared trousers in the world for a wrestler to hold. <laughs> no, they, it, it do, he does have a touch of jamas about it. Mm. But what I think he does 
embodying this more is that New Japan strong style f- of wrestling. He was seen, I think, as more of a protege of Ricky Choshu. And you can see that insofar as he's a stocky, big dude. He doesn't, he's not, he's not blessed with the uh, a Tanahashi physique, that's for certain. And it, it does make, like, Hase look tiny next to him, even though Hase is not a tiny man. Uh, and, like, obviously, like, because, like, he's, Hase's sort of, like, thin-ripped, it it accentuates the stockiness. I think from a, from a purely, like, visual perspective, it's like, Hase's got a big job on his hands. He's got to chop down that tree. Well, yeah, I mean, Hashimoto, as I say, is seen as the ace of the promotion of all of them it's funny how they positioned the three musketeers they were seen as of like equal importance in general to that era but they almost all had their own specialties in what they were great at chono only ever had one reign with the iwgb heavyweight title and he didn't even get to defend it he had to vacate it due to injury as soon as he finally won it that's got to be gutting Yes, but his specialty was the G1 Climax. He won it three of the first four years and was called Mr. August. So it was almost like he can do the short burst tournaments better than anyone else. I'm assuming he like that. He could have come across as a nearly man then. Yes, but the G1s were essentially treated as pivotal as winning the heavyweight title. And it was, a, it was an achievement unto itself. It didn't then lead to the uh, Wrestle Kingdom main events. That was something introduced when Okada won it, I think, in 2012. Oh, okay. Until then, you would just have... You would get a title shot, like, in October. But that wasn't the be-all and end-all of your year. It was it was, it was, was a different thing. It would be like winning... If, if the heavyweight championship is like winning a domestic league, winning the G1 is like winning an international tournament. Oh, like a World Cup or a Euros or the Champions League. Yeah, a League. World Cup or a Euros or a Copper America. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was how Chono was presented. And also Chono was the perennial heel leader of uh New Japan from about ninety four. He he was originally presented as like a an inheritor of the Luthes mantle. Aren't there rumors that Hulk Hogan sort of nicked bits of Chono for Hollywood Hulk Hogan? You can definitely see similarities, absolutely. Because Chono... Well, Chono's look became based around... Well, let's talk about Hashimoto. But Chono's look was based around the Yakuza. Because apparently... Well, Yakuza members were known to be big wrestling fans and possibly having involvement in some of the business dealings of some Japanese mm. wrestling promotions. Possibly even very high-profile ones. Well, they got linked with Pride, didn't they, the Yakuza? Yes. Yes, they did. And so Chono became known as their favourite, and so he built into that. He essentially started presenting himself as a, a Yakuza leader, and that was something that followed into the fit perfectly then with the NWO black and white. Oh, I'm with you. And Muto was always this charismatic star who would also win... Well, it's like he would reach the highest peaks almost because he won the IWGB Heavyweight Championship and NWA World Heavyweight Championship in a title unification match against Chono at one of the Wrestle Kingdoms before it was called Wrestle Kingdom. He was the only man, and I think he's... No, there's one other man, Kensuke Sasuke, but he was one of only, he was the first one to win a G1 Climax whilst also being the IWGB Heavyweight Champion. Oh, okay. He was one of only two people to achieve that. 
And he obviously had the biggest name internationally. And he was also the biggest charismatic star, I suppose, insofar as he was eccentric. He could go a bit all over the place. He was unpredictable because he also had his great Muta persona. Mm. Like when the NWO Japan storyline was going on, I think, I might be wrong about this, but I think it was like the great Muta joined the NWO, but Kiji Muto hadn't decided yet. <laughs> but that was something that was uh, I read at one point. But Hashimoto was always seen as like the straight-laced defender of all that is good and true and the standard bearer for New Japan. And that's why he was, if anyone, he was the heavyweight champion. When the UWFI invaded, it was ultimately Hashimoto that vanquished Nobuhiko Takada at the end in the Tokyo Dome and won it all for New Japan. When the NWO attacked, it was Hashimoto and Kensuke Sasuke that were like the leaders of the native side. So if you if you want to say who is the Tanahashi of the 90s, whilst they're not that similar stylistically, Hashimoto is in state in stature the the star of the the 90s. And so there is that sense in this match that Hase is trying to chop down a big mighty redwood in this match like his whole thing is about targeting the legs and you yeah. realize if you've never seen a Hashimoto match until later on why Hashimoto Fitting in with that strong style Inoki-infused martial arts philosophy is all about the strikes. He pretty much just hits kicks and slaps and chops until right at the end when he hits his finishing move. Mm. Well, he hits, like, what, two body slams, uh, a senton, uh, a top rope elbow, a double stomp. That's about it. <laughs> it's much more limited, the move set in this match. It seems like... Almost the whole of the first half of the match is on the ground. And it's also funny, I was looking at it, it's like, again, because of the philosophies and New Japan being more martial arts based, if you were to like have the, t- the ends of the spectrum of what uh, pro wrestling in Japan could be, if the UWF is down one end and, I don't know, DDT at its silliest is down the other, uh, New Japan is very close to, and, and if you say like traditional All Japan inspired from, you know, NWA classic american wrestling is the middle then new japan comes close to the uwf mm. even when they're doing submission holds there's less of a precise nature to them it's more it feels more improvised and they're they're adapting to what's in front of them it feels much more shoot style and when they're they're almost at like a stalemate with the leg locks in the ring on the mat whereas like if you remember like an all japan mat exchange it would be more technical and scientific yeah and about wrist locks and, and everything whereas this one it's just it is more martial arts and and yeah you don't immediately notice the counter i mean obviously i'm not someone with like any great level of like mma or like martial arts training so maybe like more skilled people will be like, like able to see it but it, it looks more authentic because it's like oh, oh okay he's got it like he's done that little thing that i as a mere mortal a non-wrestler wouldn't have noticed to do so it gives it gives gravitas to the whole thing i i we've obviously spoken before about my uh feelings towards like the uh uwi uwfi uwfi i do apologize but this kind when it's like this it kind of works it mm. I, I i i think i mean obviously this is the first time i've seen either of these two men uh, wrestle but you can tell their character work and who they are 
as wrestlers has really set the table for this to be like a big epic occasion. The crowd are really into it. Like they, they go along with them for the like the journey, and it's it's quite nice because there's no clear villain. They both want to win a fight. There's no like skullduggery. There's no like crowd play. There's no. Even, like, the rope breaks are, like, immediate. Mind you, that's because the ref count's rapid. I noticed that for the rope breaks. They don't even do stuff on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, the one time um, he uh, Hashimoto goes outside, Hase's just, like, holding the ground. It's like, you'll come back. Whereas even with... Because, um, like, like I said, we've watched so much 90s All Japan title matches for the Five Star Project. This is something different. It's um, it's fairly long as far as a Hashimoto match goes as well. I think this goes like 25 minutes. I think usually Hashimoto main events were in the sub-20 minute area. I think even his match with Takada maybe went like 18 minutes or something. This is the fourth defense he's got of his second title reign. And this is the one that was... He won it in May of 1994, and he holds on to it until May of 95, uh, where he loses it to Muto, and that's then the next year is when Muto wins the G1 Climax against Hashimoto, because it's like, you know, whilst you're saying Chono looks like an every a nearly man when it comes to the heavyweight title, Hashimoto was like this nearly man for the G1 Climax. The G1 Climax debuted in 91. He's essentially the ace of the promotion around that time, or coming towards being the ace the promotion and yet he doesn't win the g1 until 98 and that's the one and only time he wins it and that was similarly the year that chono won the heavyweight title so that had a bit of a crowning like end of the arc kind of thing for that for their min- that mini part of their like legacy interesting especially the fact that they did it both in the same year so what do you think then after watching so many all japan 90s title matches what did you think of a New Japan 90s title match. What what were the differences? What did you like? What did you dislike in comparison to what you were used to from all those Masawa, Tawei, Kabashi, Kawada matches? Towards the end of our King's Road run in our five-star project, we started going, well, they're doing a bit of more is more head drop-wise and, like, you know, big crashing moves that would, you know... We've talked about the damage that they left. This this goes on a very different path. This is like very much less is more. Mm. It's hard to get right less is more. You have to be like have the charisma, the presence to do it. You have to have the chemistry in the ring to do it. These guys have that. I, I was really like particularly like struck by Hase. I really liked his like technical ability and even though physically, as I mentioned, the story is obvious, like Hashimoto's got the size advantage. He's gonna have, like he's gonna have to be chopping down the tree with his body language and his moves, and like his suddenness when he spots a um, opportunity to pick an ankle early on. He's like a man who like right. I I have to get this guy on the ground, and it, everything he does conveys that really really well because he does dominate for about the first ten minutes of the match, and there is a moment where Hashimoto. He's back on his feet, and for the first time he's trying to engage strikes on Hase. And all Hase does in that moment is immediately hold on to one of his legs to bring him back down to the mat. So again, you know, one of the things that we were saying we liked about Japanese matches and and any of these sort of matches, 
like I've said, uh, a common refrain. I like it when a wrestler's trying to unpick a lock. Mm. And that is what Hase's doing throughout this match. But he does make some mistakes. At about the halfway point of the match, Hashimoto gets up and he starts chopping him. He chops him. And Hashimoto just stands there and takes it. And Hase keeps chopping him. And essentially, he lets Hase chop himself out. And then when he runs out of energy, uh, Hashimoto hits him with one slap or chop. It's like a neck chop. And Hase goes to the ground immediately. And that's such a great way of showing, well, Hase just cannot engage with him. Similar to the way that Zack Sabre Jr. matches often go. That he will dominate on the map, but sometimes he'll just make that mistake of engaging with them on the uh, you And know, someone on like Minoru Suzuki or like uh, Ishii will just like cave his like chest in. Mm. And we were saying how so often the, the fun shoot style matches that Volkan was having around this time would be about the the striker versus the grappler. And that's what this is essentially, the striker Hashimoto against the grappler Hase. Because Hase is like legit, as is as are pretty much every New Japan dojo graduate in some sporting field. He literally represented Japan at the nineteen ninety four Olympic Games in wrestling. Oh, okay. And he finished ninth. So he has legit credentials. And then he came to New Japan, and he was going... He would have been, like, a couple of years after the Hashimoto, Muto, and Chono. Because whilst he was doing the Olympics, that was the year that they were all debuting together at the same time as Young Lions. Ah, okay. So Hase was a couple of years behind them, but I don't know if he was that much younger. He was about the same age. And so he went to New Japan, and he was placed in the junior division for quite a while. And back then, that was the traditional, like, graduation point for you. Like, Mm. that's how Fujinami got up. That's how the plan was for Nobuhiko Takada, and and that was how Shiro Koshinaka made it into the heavyweight scene. And and Hase was more along those lines, I guess. And he was, like, the ace of the junior division in the late 80s. He uh, had matches with the likes of Owen Hart for the junior title, and, and, as I said, Koshinaka and, and Takada. But his ascent up to the main event scene never really happened that much. And I think one of the things that was I knew about Hase was that he was like this very selfless for the business because he very early got like a an office was a key office member of the company and would be like pivotal in booking and everything. And very often he was known to put others over. Mm. He never won the heavyweight title and there was no intercontinental or never open weight titles or anything for him to take a second place glory in. The only, he made one G1 Climax final in 93 as a semi-surprise, I suppose, and lost that to, to Fujinami in like a, one of the last glory moments for Fujinami. Okay. So he was never presented... I guess if you were to go with an equivalent now, although his equivalent has, has won a G1 Climax, I guess he'd be like a Hiroki Goto. Okay. You know? I'm with you. Do you reckon that's partly because he had aspirations beyond the ring? Yeah, yeah, he became, uh, only a few years after this, he went into semi-retirement because he uh, became, and this was his only heavyweight title shot, he'd never had any other title matches, this was his one and only shot at the heavyweight title, and by uh, 1996, he'd uh, left because he wanted to get into a career in politics, Um, he won won, uh, the equivalent of the Senate seat, in uh, 1995 
And so he wasn't able to... He did work with All Japan whilst he was in the, the Japanese Dyer, but again was just left as a mid-carder, really. Yeah. Um, his most prominent moment after all this was in 2001, he formed a, a trans-promotional uh, faction with Kijimuto, Don Fry, Manukia Mossman, who I think got renamed Taiyo Kia at that point, and Jinsei Shinzaki, because it was at that point where New Japan and All Japan formed a working relationship, and so it was a, a faction of wrestlers from different promotions. And Hase and, and Muto have a very deep, long-held um, rivalry slash friendship that they were tag team champions together, but they also had one of the most violent matches in in New Japan's history in particular. Have you ever heard of the Muto scale? I've not, no. That was the thing that was used in the internet in the sort of period I was getting into it, that rated how bloody uh, a cut someone had had, how, how bloody a blade job someone had had. And the standard was the level of blood that the great Muta lost in his match against Hase in this. This really? was just before. I think that was the match he had just before. So this was late 92. And they became tag team champions soon after that as well. So <laughs> there was a weird dynamic between the two of them. He swallowed so much of his blood that he became his blood brother. <laughs> if... If we were to do another Hase match, that would almost certainly be the one that we'll discuss. Mm. Um, but yeah, if like so, like if you say Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13 would be like a a 0.8 meter because it like goes from top to bottom, but it doesn't cover his entire face, you know. Whereas maybe Shawn Michaels at the Hell in a Cell was like an 0.9 meter, you know. Or what would Randy Orton at New Year's Revolution have been? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I don't know that one well enough, really. Oh, that's yeah. I that that's a horrid board. That's when the whole match fell apart. That's a whole different story for another day. Uh, it's interesting, like with Hase. I mean, I don't know Japanese politics, but I've, I've just like quickly looked up. He is has been a member of the House of Representatives from the first district of Ishi, Ishikawa Prefecture mm. since mm. June two thousand, and he's held that office ever since. He's been in the cabinet, like really prominent, like the sports minister for Japan, I believe. He was in the cabinet, yes. He was only there for ten months. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a comment on him or Japanese politics. But he was sports techno and sports science and technology minister. Mm. Weird fusion, but there you go. Yeah, but he seems. It seems to be very involved in the Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, he looks exactly the same now as he does there. Like the man has not aged at all. It's insane. Well, he—I mean—he has like a, a sensible, trimmed moustache of a of a man who doesn't want to, you know, who takes care of himself and his appearance at all times. It's precise, kind of like his like game plan to take on Hashimoto. It's been drilled into his head beforehand, most likely by himself. Like, this is how I will defeat this man. I'm not running off passion. I'll take out his legs, I'll keep him on the ground, and then I'll hit him with suplexes when he's worn out to win the match. And that is what he does at the end. He has his burst of moves, and it is like two T-bone suplexes, uh, a Northern Light suplex, a German suplex. I think he might have invented the Northern Light suplex. That might be wrong, or he, or he specialised in it. I know that... I think Meltzer said that basically until Alicia Fox, 
he had the best Northern Lights suplex ever. I was going to say, like, him and Alicia Fox sit at that top table. An unusual pairing. <laughs> it's a very, it's a brand new sentence almost. Um, the moment he hits, because he hits the first, like, proper pro wrestling move with the netbreaker, and the crowd lose their minds because it's like oh the gear has shifted it's gone from third to straight to fifth although i don't think it ever reaches that crazy intensity of the all japan king's road matches it's shorter it's more focused it's less all over the place there's no big apron spot there's no it's not as high spotty as this and like i said that's because i think in in all japan the the main event scene those guys kind of controlled everything they didn't share it really outside of the you know the junior heavyweight division would not have a more spectacular style of wrestling whereas that's what new japan would have it would be like let's have the high flying moves be what the juniors do and let's have the heavyweight division be more grounded map based strong style and now you know nowadays that's it's it's all gone out of the books and everything fused together like we said when we were talking about the um the stardom match. I mean, yeah, you've got like people hitting big moves on people like two hundred pounds heavier than them. You, you've got like nip ups from people like Braun Strowman. I don't know. The, the, the world is topsy turvy. Although I will say as well, the suplexes and everything usually are more along this line of it being bridged holds rather than what was going on in all Japan at this time, which was now all the crazy head drops yeah. that you were seeing. So again, it's more controlled in that regards. I never winced in this match. I think, well, some of those kicks. <laughs> yeah, but a kick wince is different. To a, that guy could be in a wheelchair kick. Uh, wince, rather. I think Taz cited Hase as a big inspiration for his suplexes as well. Although mm. Taz incorporated the no-bridge, all-impact style. But you can see, I think you can see a lot of, of technique that Taz uses coming from Hase. Especially the... T-bone suplex. He said he took directly from Yoshi yeah. Hase. I could see that. So, so that is Hase and Hashimoto. I think you can see why he works as like a native hero. That the the tragic thing for Hashimoto outside of his death was that he almost got. You could almost argue that he got the Bret Hart screw job of Japan. Have you ever heard of the story of him and Ogawa? I have not. No. Noya Ogawa was a judoka who had been uh, in the Olympics as well. I think. He might have received a medal, actually. And he had worked in New Japan afterwards because, you know, Inoki loves his fusing of styles and and New Japan being presented as the king of all sports. That was a genuine thing. He would want him to take on someone like Ogawa. And I think they traded a couple of wins and they were wrestling at the Tokyo Dome. And at this point, Inoki has a new promotion called UFO, United Fighting Organization, I think. Of course Inoki called it UFO. Of course. Ogawa is presented as the ace of that promotion. And I think soon after this event happened, he won the NWA World Heavyweight title for Dan Seven. And God, that's a that's a that's a hell of a legit man fight. A judo medalist and Dan Seven. <laughs> and what happened in that match was that suddenly Ogawa just started hitting Hashimoto legit, took him to the ground, battered him, his face was like a mess. And Hashimoto had to leave the ring and was just utterly cut up. And it seemed like Ogawa had taken liberties with him in the ring and really kind of exposed Hashimoto. It was like a precursor to Inoki sending all his guys into legit MMA fights and exposing them in ways that he never had to get exposed. Yeah. 
because outside of the Muhammad Ali match where he just crawled on his ass for 15 rounds, he, he'd never had to be exposed in a real fight. Yeah. But he felt like he should do that to the other guys. And really, after that, Hashimoto's stature never recovered. He lost to Ogawa in several work matches after this as well, including a Loser Leaves Town match. And eventually, it was like a work shoot that became a shoot that he went and formed his own promotion called Zero One in 2001. Okay. That was his promotion then after that. Uh, he he was separated from New Japan, formed his own entity. That was essentially the number four promotion of the new recalibration of New Japan, All Japan, Pro Wrestling Noah, and Zero One. Zero One never had the successes for Hashimoto like Noah had with Masawa. Mm. Uh, although he had his moments, he won the All Japan Triple Crown when he was got into a deal with Kijimuto, but he never quite returned to the 90s star that he was, and then, unfortunately, like Masawa, he died. Although I don't think he died, he didn't die in the ring, but he did die of a brain hemorrhage or something like that. Oof. Again, taken away from us far too soon. Mm. Uh, yeah, he died at the age of 40 in 2005. Jeez. So... Yeah, died of a brain aneurysm. Yeah, his son Daishi Hashimoto became a, a wrestler, and uh, essentially, like he, ever since then, Hashimoto, um, Muto, and Chono have always done things in tribute to Hashimoto. Afterwards, I think when Chono won the G One Climax, he dedicated it to Hashimoto. Mm. So he will always be intrinsically linked with the three of them. And you can see why he was popular. I mean, even though he was big, he looked tough. And when he does a spinning heel kick, the speed that yeah. he moves, and this is like 20 minutes into the match. He nearly decapitates Hase. Yeah, it was like classic Owen Hart couldn't have done a spinning heel kick more impressive than that. Really enjoyed like the spectacle of both men. And like he just looks... Like a big, hard dude who can fight. Yeah, I think he presents similarly to how Okada does in that sense that he is the best and people are having to bring themselves up to defeat him. And so that means he takes a lot of punishment, but he can carry through Mm. and bring more back. And what's funny, though, is that final sequence, if you go from, like, Hase going for the suplexes and everything... I think he like wins. He, he rocks Hashimoto with some strikes, and it's the sign now Hashimoto's in trouble because whilst he could take the strikes before, this time it's affecting him. These big chops that were like sweats flying all over the place, and so he's weakened. And then he takes a barrage of suplexes, and then Hashimoto returns fire, hits him with a few kicks, spinning heel kick, and then his fisherman buster, and it's over. Now, if you do that now, that's just the start of what will be another ten. To maybe 15 minute sequence whereas this is essentially Hase hits him with everything Hashimoto survives Hashimoto hits him with everything Hase stays down it feels almost dated in that respect but after so long of going through this formula that we say bothers us and and all these matches going on forever I I found it a little bit refreshing weirdly yeah I I do wonder how if people who have only seen like got into wrestling in the last few years watch this match how they would perceive it it's not that it's aged badly like what do you think it'd be looked like old timey boxing kind of <laughs> i think I, I think some people would have that comparison but to be fair we were getting this epicness from all japan at the time and so maybe the reason that hashimoto never had these five star matches in the eyes of Meltzer was because he didn't do that five minute finishing stretch that Meltzer preferred 
but they want it to be presented maybe more as a sport and more of a sense of people wouldn't stay up for that long. Yeah. I don't know. But this is this is as enjoyable. Hmm. In my eyes. It, I don't know if it's as enjoyable. Well, I wouldn't give this five stars like I would several of the Masawa Kabashi and Kawada Okay, matches. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you were to put a star rating on it, no. Uh, but it's by no means unenjoyable. Yeah, it's great for what it is. There are people who prefer this to the overwroughtness of both modern wrestling and, and what all... I mean, it was that New Japan was selling out bigger stadium. You know, they were doing stadium shows, mm. whereas All Japan were just basically sticking to Budokan Hall until 98 or 97 when they did the Tokyo Dome at last. You can see why Hashimoto was popular at the time, but maybe I worry that you might get lost to this sands of time because, unfortunately, he went far too early and so mm. the people that would have gone into it now and he's not as immensely charismatic in a way that maybe non-japanese fans would immediately gravitate to like kijimuto was and like masahiro chono was in the presentation and muto particularly in the map in the wrestling style uh but similarly you know kabashi gets a lot more love than masawa at times because that kabashi goes you know kabashi's like a puppy trying to entertain trying to get you to love him whereas masawa's like a cat <laughs> you have to come to him. Yeah. Again, it's one A, one B. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Splitting hairs. Um, so, would you like to watch some more Hashimoto, or do you feel like this kind of sums it all? I mean, this is—I think this is the highest rated match he's ever he has on cage match, and I think it might be the highest rated match Meltzer's ever given. Mm. So, if this is the peak of Hashimoto, does that maybe not make you feel that desperate to watch more? I'd watch Hashimoto, but I don't think I'd watch him against the same opponent. Uh, I want to see him like slap it. Try. I want to see a lad as big as him fight. Well, I mean, he, he had several matches with Scott Norton. I remember watching a match between him and Scott Norton when I was very young on Eurosport. I wrote a whole chapter about it in my um, book. So seek that out if you feel like it. Simon's never read the bloody thing. You had <laughs> ten years to do so. But, yeah. I, I saw the live show. Is that not enough? Nope. Brilliant. <laughs> But yeah, I, 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 and some, and in terms of Hase, maybe him against a smaller guy. I, I feel like if I watch this match again, and I don't know if this is just New Japan through the years, and we've we've made this comment recently. I feel if I watch the exact same combination again, I'd be like, oh, I've seen, I've kind of seen this. Mm. But I don't know if that's just because they're like rigid style wise, and maybe it's because I don't know Japanese and like obviously can't get involved in the lore of it. I think you'd be curious to watch him because what they set up afterwards, if you saw Kensuke Sasuke was on the outside during the match, and that's because he was going to challenge at the Tokyo Dome show the next month. Oh, he had a winner. Right. And this is, I think this is very soon after he finally dropped his Power Warrior name when he was part of the Hellraisers with Hawk. So he was back to being Kensuke Sasuke. So it was that was a generational conflict in a way. Although Sasuke was like in between the second and third generation. Mm. Maybe we'll talk about a Hashimoto-Sasuke match at some point. Because Kensuke-Sasuke is someone we need to discuss as well. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway, I think that's pretty much it for me, this one. Would you say, Simon? I would say the same, yeah. I've got no further notes to add. We need to check out some more New Japan heavyweight stuff. We've done Chono and Muto, and we've done Hase and Hashimoto. There's a few more names, like we say, Sasuke and a few others. Maybe some Fujinami. I would like that. Mainly because I like the dragon suplex. as A dragon sleeper as a move. You've got to do some Inoki. Oh, yes. The crimson chin himself. But anyway, 
Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with some other suggestions maybe for the New Japans of the eight, 70s, 80s and 90s to seek out, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter and so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of knee ligaments that uh, Hase trying to remove from Hashimoto. My name's Lorcan Munn and that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the end of Shinya. N for the N in the middle of Shinya. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. Simon, if we do not have another five-star match to discuss, what will be our match of the week for next week? We're going to go a bit old school, I feel. I feel we're going to do... Catches Jack versus Eddie Gilbert from Tri-State. Because I I think I said when we first formulated our list, I did want to see some hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. Mm -hmm. So we will endeavour to locate some and inject it into our veins. The match that essentially was like the the, uh, John the Baptist to ECW's Jesus Christ. (laughs) Now, my appetite is much more whetted after hearing that. (laughs) <laughs> but until then there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen my name's Simon Cross thank you for letting us tell you something have a great week until the next week Bye.